Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, there have been many stories in the news about businesses having lots of jobs they can't fill, which means plenty of opportunities for older workers to show they can still cut it. We have details on this year's Senior Job Fair at 50 North. Speaking of jobs, a new survey finds more than 6 in 10 companies already have or may soon implement a four-day work week, marking the biggest employment shift in nearly a century. But is it sustainable? And we'll get an update on what local Boy Scouts are up to this summer. Mark Kogan will be here to tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. Today is United Nations World Refugee Day. Uh, we were actually talking about that a little bit in the, on the uh, program last week, talking about the uh, tremendous number of refugees in the world, places like Ukraine, uh, obviously very much in the news, but other places that don't make headlines uh, as well. Uh, something like 7 million refugees, something... I. I'm going from memory here, but I think that's the number that we were talking about last week. Uh, also, American Eagle Day today, Plain Yogurt Day. <laughs> Plain Yogurt Day. Um, so if you need a, a reason to celebrate, you are really scraping the bottom of the barrel for reasons to celebrate. If you're celebrating Plain Yogurt Day. There you go. National Ice Cream Soda Day. That's more like it. National Vanilla Milkshake Day. And World Productivity Day today. So, uh, off of your three-day weekend, um, be very productive today. Supposed to be very productive today, World Productivity Day. Do you, did you get uh, Juneteenth off? Um, this is kind of interesting. A new survey of 1,000 Americans find that most workers actually do get Juneteenth off. I was actually surprised by this. Is Juneteenth is a relatively new federal holiday. In fact, I believe the newest federal holiday prior to Juneteenth, the newest federal, most recently declared federal holiday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And uh, I think it wasn't, it was like 2000, the year 2000, when that was finally observed in all 50 states. Um, but uh, we have Juneteenth now, which was yesterday is the newest federal holiday. And the only other holidays that are as universally recognized uh, in the... uh, Now, federal workers and state workers uh, most often uh, get paid time off for all federal holidays. That's kind of the way it works. But other public and private businesses do not necessarily always follow those guidelines. So, uh, like for example... Only 33% of Americans have Thanksgiving Day off. Only one-third, which, uh, again, was rather surprising. Only 18% actually have Veterans Day off. Um, 20% of workers in this survey said that they don't get any federal holidays off. But the most commonly observed federal holidays amongst private businesses... New Year's Day, no big surprise there, Memorial Day, which is coming up, and Juneteenth. Those are the three. So are they even more than Thanksgiving, which is a a bit of a surprise. So uh, if you had a three-day weekend 
Welcome back to work. You know, the thing that most people uh, don't look forward to about going to work uh, the most, workplace advice columnist Allison Green says office drama is the thing that causes the most uh, consternation within the office environment. Office drama. And usually it originates from one pet peeve, and that is passive-aggressive notes. Passive-aggressive notes. Notes, not memos. Uh, While notes are usually written due to irresponsible behavior, like not cleaning out the office fridge, the more angry the note seems, the more it tends to be ignored. An angry note could also trigger coworkers to act even worse. So she advises leaving a polite note without, you know, underlining. (laughs) We've all seen those notes. Somebody underlines like two or three times uh, a word for emphasis or writing in all caps, which can be seen as passive-aggressive. Leaving a polite note instead is the better solution to the problem. And refrain refrain from using exclamation marks. So those are the things that you can do to make uh, your... Passive-aggressive notes seem less passive-aggressive and thus cut down on the office drama. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day to get your Tuesday morning started. By the way, speaking of uh, time off, as we get in holidays and and all of that, as we get close to the 4th of July here, a a new national survey uh, ranks the most patriotic states in the nation. I really, I wish I would have uh, looked this up uh, ahead of time because I don't know where Ohio ranks on this list. Wallet Hub is another one of those Wallet Hub studies. They examined all 50 states based on things like military enlistment, civilian engagement, and so on. And the most patriotic state in the United States, uh, Virginia. Which is probably not a surprise because there's an awful lot of military in Virginia and military families and people are involved uh, in in government work. So you would be seen as very patriotic work and and things like that, civilian engagement, that civilian engagement factor and so on. So Virginia ranked the most patriotic state uh, in the country. Not a big surprise. You know, the bottom of the list, the least patriotic state in the country, Arkansas. I don't know. I don't know why uh, Arkansas, but that's what it says. Arkansas, the least patriotic state. So for what it's worth, I like I said, I don't know where Ohio ranks. I should have looked that up, and I did not, so I apologize. But if you're curious, you can Google that. Wallet Hub's ranking of the most patriotic states. Arkansas at the bottom of the list. So get on the stick there, Arkansas. Um, speaking of 4th of July and all of these other things, I'm going to be traveling this summer, maybe for the 4th of July or uh, vacation sometime uh, this summer. Nobody wants to visit a place where they won't be welcome. And so the uh, language learning service, Preply, has come out with a list of the friendliest and most welcoming cities in the world, not just in the U.S., but globally. They call it the Community Spirit Index. 
and they looked at a variety of factors in determining the most friendly community in the world. Um, Overall happiness, visitor return rates, which I think is a great metric. If people go and they don't feel welcome, they're not going to, and people aren't friendly, they're not going to go back. So visitor return rates, safety, friendliness of hospitality staff, um, equality uh, across uh, multiple uh, groups, um, and English-speaking proficiency. That was a, uh, because again, you're talking to an American audience, so need to, because very few Americans are multilingual, so we expect, we go to other places around the world and we expect them to speak our language instead of the other way around. It's just kind of the way we are. So anyway, with all of that in mind, the uh, two cities that are at the top of the list in terms of being the friendliest in the Community Spirit Index, neither one of them are in the United States, Toronto, Ontario, and Sydney, Australia. Toronto and Sydney, the friendliest states or friendliest cities in the world. And again, not really surprising. I know Canadians are known for their friendliness, their kind of laid back attitude. And um, Australians, kind of the same way, very, very friendly people. Uh, my son spent some time in Australia when he was in the military. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Said it was just a, a wonderful experience. So, Sydney, Australia, and Toronto, Canada. Uh, Rounding out the top five, Edinburgh, Scotland, Manchester, England, and the only American city in the top five, New York. New York, New York was number five in terms of the friendlies. And I know that's not the the reputation that they have, but I have always found New Yorkers to be incredibly friendly and very, very helpful to tourists. They know that we are there to spend money. And they and they want our money. They have this tourist thing down to down to a sign. So I have uh, personally found uh, that uh, New Yorkers very very friendly. Just uh, don't drive. Take a cab. Take an Uber. Whatever. Don't try and drive on their streets. That's when they get a little a little perturbed. <laughs> uh, let's see. And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, how many times have you heard it said that breakfast is the most important meal of the day? So this is something very important to uh, point out right out of the gate. First thing this morning, um, the one restaurant chain that dominates America's morning meal, many fast food chains uh, offer breakfast. Actually, fast food breakfast, uh, the concept uh, started with, with uh, McDonald's many, many years ago, and it has grown to, I think they say, is like one-fourth to one-half of their revenue at McDonald's comes from breakfast. And according to this latest survey of 10,000 U.S. adults between the ages of 18 and 70, McDonald's still number one in terms of the uh, place that we think of to go f- for breakfast. So McDonald's is still king of the hill. Um, And they broke this down state by state. 30 states rank McDonald's as the best fast food breakfast. Uh, The second uh, on the list is Chick-fil-A. 14 states chose Chick-fil-A as the best fast food breakfast. Kind of interesting. Uh, Burger King and Wendy's follow. And uh, in one state... 
Taco Bell was uh, deemed the best place for the first meal of the day. Taco Bell. You know what state? I would have guessed maybe, what, Texas, New Mexico, whatever. No, Montana. Montana said uh, Taco Bell was the best place for breakfast. 58.6% of respondents who buy breakfast spend between 5 and $10, but over half of respondents say they don't eat breakfast at all. Not a good idea. The most important meal of the day. So, anyway. I just thought that was kind of interesting, the uh, fast food breakfast wars. It seems that McDonald's, the original, is still number one in the minds of many people. And there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly cloudy today with a high in the mid-80s. Partly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid-60s. Community leaders in Hancock County are working to understand and close gaps in current child care opportunities in the county. Recently, quite a few local partners have been meeting to discuss the need for high-quality, affordable child care further. And this group has researched local providers, wait lists, fees, and hours of operations. Brian Trees, president and CEO of the Finley-Hancock County Community Foundation, says two surveys have been created to gather a complete scope of the community's needs. One survey seeks input from parents, and the other is targeted towards HR professionals and business leadership. We have a link to both with this story on our website. After surveying the damage across northwest and northern Ohio, the National Weather Service says nine tornadoes touched down last Thursday. Several of the tornadoes damaged homes, barns, and other structures. The first touched down early Thursday evening in the North Toledo neighborhood of Point Place. Others hit near Oak Harbor in Ottawa County, three in Sandusky County, including near Vickery and Bellevue, three in Huron County, including the Peru and North Fairfield areas, and another touchdown in Ashland County. Dave James, in News. The Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center in Findlay held its Juneteenth Freedom Day celebration on Monday. Harrison Phillips is board vice chair for the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. If the Union soldiers had not won the war, then the Emancipation Proclamation would have not been worth the paper it was written on. But on the winning of the war, troops were sent to Galveston, Texas. There was a place called Texas that had not gotten the word. And you could see some video from the local Juneteenth celebration with the story on our website. The 16th Annual University of Finley Pharmacy Camp is being held this month. The high school juniors and seniors participating in the camp will take part in hands-on learning and labs and learn more about medicinal chemistry, pharmacology, compounding, therapeutics, and more. For seniors, one of the benefits of attending the camp is that they'll be given the opportunity on the last day of camp to interview for the UF Pharmacy Program. Get more details with this story on our website. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So now our cover story this morning. We've heard lots of stories in the news about businesses having many jobs that they just can't fill. And that means uh, plenty of opportunities for older workers to show that they can still cut it. Uh, we have details this morning on this year's Senior Job Fair at 50 North, which is uh, coming up tomorrow, actually. Uh, Beth Wilkins is here from uh, 50 North, and uh, Brianna Wybera from uh, Job and Family Services uh, with us. Um, first of all, uh, Beth, this is, uh, what, the fourth? This is the fourth one we've fourth done. Of, and obviously it's uh, worked very well since we keep having them. 
it's been very successful. And Bree and I were just talking about that the other day. Um, almost 200 people attend this. And this is for people over the age of 50 who may be retired, uh, maybe looking for another job, maybe they want to go part-time. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge array of different businesses that are looking for people. Well, and uh, Bree, as we were mentioning, I mean, the stories uh, are in the news about the number of jobs that are going unfilled. And I, I think there has long been that uh, that perception among older workers that once you get past a certain age, companies don't want to talk to you. And, and at least by the list of the uh, organizations, the companies that are coming to this, uh, that's definitely more a perception than reality. I would definitely agree with that. Um, and a lot of the generation that's over the age of 50 has those you know, soft skills showing up on time. They understand mm-hmm. you know, not to be on your phone. They still have a lot of that great worth ethic left. And they're just looking for those part-time flexible positions. Some of them are looking for, you know, a second career option later in life. Mm -hmm. So we are there to help them find a position. So uh, talk a little bit about how this works. And I'll throw this out to uh, both of you. (laughs) It doesn't get any easier than this. Show up. We will give you a list of businesses as you walk in the door. Mm -hmm. And this will be pretty much the entire side of the the west side of 50 North. And it's really easy. You can just walk around and see who's there, who you want to talk to. A lot of different types of positions. These aren't full-time, heavy, lifting, you know, factory positions. Mm -hmm. For some... They just need some or want some extra income. Yeah, uh, that was one of the things that really struck me in terms of, and I mean, there are certainly some of the trades, some of the more um, heavy lifting type of uh, things. You've got uh, hats uh, or uh, Alveda construction and, you know, uh, so on. But uh, then, you know, right down to Kona Ice. Uh, so there's a quite a wide variety of things here. Mm-hmm. And that's the great thing about this being the fourth time, because every time yeah. we're trying to talk to anyone that's coming to these job fairs, you know, what exactly are you looking for? Are you looking for something more in the food? Are you looking for retail? So we've really tried to take that feedback into consideration mm-hmm. and invite those employers. How often, and I'm curious, uh, again, since this is not the first one, it's a bit of a known quantity. How many of these uh, companies uh, have come to you and said, we want to be a part of this and we want to actively recruit older workers? And how many have you reached out to? Oh, great question. So Ohio Means Jobs, which is who we're partnering with at 50 North, mm-hmm. they do a great job of reaching out to how, how many? I mean, knew there was a large number mm-hmm. through email and other ways. Yeah. And then throwing it out literally on Facebook, word of mouth. We've had companies calling 50 North. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of them are looking for part-time office help, not difficult things. A lot of it is uh, one-on-one and or public there are a lot of these Public jobs facing. that are sure, but, yeah. that, and they're they're not difficult, but they're flexible. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people are like part time or part part time. We're good with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of uh, workers in this age group, it may have been a long time since they have put themselves out there for the idea of of job hunting. The idea of uh, interviewing for a job or having a resume, uh, that kind of thing. What do those who haven't done this in a while need to know? They only need to know that if they show up, 
Ohio Means Jobs, Hancock County will have a table there if they need help with resumes, if they need help with mock interviewing, if they just need someone to kind of walk around with them for a couple minutes to get the feel of the land. We're more than welcome to help out in any way we can. Um, and give us all of the uh, details on this. As we uh, mentioned, this is happening tomorrow, right? Tomorrow from 3 to 5, all you have to do is show up. And uh, we do have people who hire on the spot, but we also have a lot of people that come in and take information or applications with them. They want to think about it, maybe call these people later. So it's a great opportunity just to see what's out there. Uh, and it, it's 3 to 5. Uh, you could probably spend the entire time. You don't, you're not required to be there like right at 3, right? Correct. Yep. You can come at 4.45. There'll still be employers there until 5. <laughs> okay, now wait a minute. You start saying, you know, know. 4.55 and... But with 32 uh, different uh, employers that are going to be uh, a part of this, um, you can imagine that you can fill a couple of hours pretty easily. Just with walking the, around. Yeah, sure. The, uh, mm-hmm. uh, all of the uh, opportunities. And I would imagine uh, that folks who have attended this in the past will find that there are uh, opportunities they didn't even realize uh, that were out there that were available. And that's part of it, working with Bree. A lot of people don't even know where to look for a job. Yeah. Some, some of them don't even have computers, so they're not going to look at different types of things like Indeed.com or mm. understand how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and again, that perception of... Uh, even if they know that there are jobs uh, open, that perception of, well, they're not going to be interested in me because I don't have, you know, those computer skills mm-hmm. or, you know, they're not looking for somebody older. But, uh, you know, certainly uh, those opportunities uh, very much exist. And they might be, it might be a situation where they've been out of the workforce for so long and want to get back into it. Well, and, and again, and I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, but just to reiterate, uh, this could be whatever situation you find yourself in, right? I mean, whether you've uh, retired and looking to find something to just fill some time, fill a few hours, maybe put a few extra bucks in your pocket, mm-hmm. or if you're looking at uh, a change uh, later in your career. So not all of these are... Uh, are part-time, right? These, I mean... That's right. Some of them are full-time positions. And even if they, you know, they come to the job fair, they don't see anything that they're really interested in, they can always make an appointment with Ohio Means Jobs to sit down with one of our career counselors to really work on that resume, correct you with, connect you with other businesses in Hancock County, kind of based on what they're looking for. So making that connection Mm -hmm. uh, is a big part of this as well. Again, happening tomorrow, 50 North, uh... From three to five, and this is open to uh, all uh, fifty, uh, all of those fifty plus. Correct. You don't have to be. Like, you don't have to be a member. Uh, no, this is open know. to the community. Yeah. So uh, again, we've got a link up on our webpage for more information if you want uh, details on this year's senior job fair at Fifty North. And uh, Beth, Brianna, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks. If you had. Uh, the day off for Juneteenth yesterday. You might not have heard us talking about this, but it actually uh, speaks to <laughs> this this very topic uh, for those who had a three day or a four day work week, a three day weekend. A growing number of companies appear to be warming to the idea of a standard four day work week. Uh, the website resumebuilder.com polled nearly a thousand employers and in their survey 20 percent already had a four-day week and 41 percent said that they plan to implement it at least on a trial basis 
Uh, more evidence. Google searches for a four-day work week have increased five-fold this year. A number of states are looking to legislate or at least study the idea. And there are even rumblings of uh, Congress taking a closer look. It was 1926 when Henry Ford adopted the five-day work week and 1940 when Congress amended the Fair Labor Standards Act to set the standard at 40 hours in the work week. So if this catches on, it could be the biggest shift in labor practices in nearly a century. Brent Garrett is a small business expert, speaker, and author of the upcoming book, Swirling the Drain, Why Small Businesses Fail and How to Stop the Leaks. And Brent, to be clear, we're not talking about cramming a 40-hour week into four days instead of five. This is just lopping a day off, right? That's, that's right. Um, there are two real uh, distinct types of four-day work weeks. One is, a, is taking that five-day, eight-hour to a four-day, 10-hour, mm-hmm. which is called compressed or shortened week to 32 hours, which I think is what you're hearing about in yeah. California. Um, but that would be paying in California, paying 100% of what they're making, for eight hours less work, a little different. Yeah, it, it seems very counterintuitive that companies would be embracing the idea of asking their employees to work less. Uh, obviously, there's uh, been very uh, a lot of talk about uh, work-life balance and, and uh, all of that uh, in the aftermath of the pandemic, although this has always been a uh, question of uh, balancing, you know, our, our regular personal lives, our family, with uh, the hours that we work. Where is this coming from now? And if it's because a tight labor market gives workers more leverage, which I think is one of the things that many people point to, what's to say that this isn't going to go away once the labor market uh, gets a little uh, less tight? Well, I, I think the way we got here is is, is really to take a look at the uh, generational representation of the workforce, and you have a number of folks coming from silent and ba- silent generation baby boomers mm-hmm. who are looking at work at the factory, do your work, work hard. Um, if you want to get ahead, work more than forty. And as um, Gen X and Ys are coming in, they're looking at work differently. And so there was a study that 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 forty five percent of the employees said that they could get their job done in five hours or less. So benefits to the employer are certainly, you touched on it, better work-life balance, spending quality time with family, doctor's appointments, hobbies. But what the employers are finding is they have lower labor costs, reduced overtime, more efficiency, and a larger recruiting pool. I found that in my own business as well. Well, the obvious drawback uh, is that fewer operating hours would mean decreased profits. I mean, that's the immediate thing that I think a lot of business owners would go to. But is that really the case? I mean, presumably the same number of people would still need the company's product or service, and people would just uh, adjust to, say, a revised schedule of operation. Yeah, you touched on it. In my own business, I have a plumbing and air conditioning business in Dallas. Um, when COVID hit, and I think that's what caused folks to start looking at 4-3, sure is in March 2020, I turned to my team and I said, look, you're going to get your 40 hours, but we're going to stagger our work weeks and we're going to work differently. Here's the interesting thing. I had no idea it was going to turn out this way. We doubled the size of our business. We had a larger recruiting pool Hmm. and we actually increased revenue with the same amount of people and and increased profit. It It was a shocker to me. Um, where we ended up after COVID. Now, we were in a sessional business, and I understand that. Yeah. And I want to make sure that everybody understands this is, this is probably related to 
hourly employees, people who get paid by the hour, not salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was going to ask, uh, you know, could you not argue that in some cases, depending on the type of business, profits might actually go up with workers having more free time to indulge in leisure activities, for example, demand in that category would almost certainly increase? Yeah, I, I think what we used it as, it was a right, not a privilege. Or, sorry, a privilege, not a right. Mm-hmm. In other words, you still had to get your work done, and it was a motivator to get it done in less time. And we used that so that there was more of a win company, win team, a team member employee. The question that I think everybody uh, is asking as we talk about the idea gaining steam of a four-day work week, particularly a four-day, 32-hour work week instead of um, – and, and this is probably the same question that people asked when the five-day, 40-hour work week was kind of standardized. Is this a sustainable change? The fact is – we adjusted to five days, 40 hours when that became the standard and made that work. Is there any reason to think that five days, 40 hours is some magic formula that cannot possibly be improved upon? Well, I think it can be improved upon. Um, I think the, the bigger question um, for me is, it, I think I, I'm, I am a capitalist. I'm a free market um, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. although we, we have a blended or mixed economy. I, I think I probably push back on the idea that we're going to be mandated to go to a 32-hour work week and pay overtime for anything over 32 hours. I think I would yeah. like the market to drive that rather than the, the government. Well, and it also uh, does it not bring up uh, the, the question of where you classify people as full-time. I mean, if your standard is four days, 32 hours, should the full-time standard be five days, 40 hours, or, or 40 hours in some combination? Because that has a lot of other implications for things like benefits, most notably health care in our system. Uh, we depend on employer-sponsored health care to, to make the health care system work. And so this opens up that whole debate once again. I mean, there are an awful lot of other conversations that go along with this. Sure. And and that's I'm I'm mainly small business, but um, when you get up over 50 employees, those those um, those rules change yeah. in the eyes of the government. And what is what is qualified as a full time employee? Yeah. Um, exactly. Um, and and you mentioned real quickly. You mentioned that you are staggering your uh, work schedule at your business because I'm wondering if the companies that are doing this are they maintaining the same operating schedule and just staggering their workers primarily, or are they actually adjusting their operating hours? to reflect that the 9 to 5 Monday through Friday schedule is no longer the norm? We are not um, staggering our hours. In fact, Saturdays were an an emergency-type situation. It is now a full day for us. So what we do is we have three different shifts, Monday through Thursday, Tuesday through Friday, and then a Wednesday through Saturday, and they rotate every month. Um, It has worked tremendous for us. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting to see all of the ways different companies are uh, implementing this and whether the consumer will have to uh, adjust to changes in operating hours depending on how a business uh, would implement this. But it appears that it is a movement that is gaining steam. A lot of uh, people are, are, a lot of businesses are moving to it. Employees uh, are loving it. And uh, apparently, at least in some cases, it's actually uh, turning out to be uh, beneficial for the business as well. Again, uh, Brent Garrett is with us, uh, business expert, speaker, author of the upcoming book, Swirling the Drain, Why Small Businesses Fail and How to Stop the Leaks. We have a link up 
to more information about the book at our webpage at goodmornings.net. Brent, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. You remember the story in the news, what was it, last year or the year before, about those uh, fishermen on Lake Erie, competitive fishermen who were found to be cheating by stuffing weights into the fish that they caught? Uh, well, here is a, another story. Uh, some fishermen that were disqualified from a uh, fishing tournament in North Carolina this time. Uh, but for an entirely different reason, and this is very unfortunate. Uh, apparently, the uh, top prize for the Big Rock Blue Marlin Tournament in North Carolina is over $2.5 million. And these fishermen reeled in a 619-pound blue marlin. 619 pounds. So you're thinking they're, they're shoe-ins to win this. That's huge. But then later, the fish was disqualified, the catch was disqualified, because the fish in question was uh, had uh, shark bite marks on it. It had been attacked by a shark. <laughs> this 619-pound fish. International Game Fish Association rules say a fish will be disqualified if there is any flesh damage um, or... Uh, if there's any flesh damage to the fish, and the blue marlin appeared to have had, had a chunk of its flesh missing. Or maybe even would have weighed more, you know, you think about it. Uh, so according to the uh, captain of the uh, ship, Greg McCoy, we did not get a plaque on the Big Rock Fountain. We didn't get the dough. Uh, instead, a competing uh, boat won the top prize with a catch of 484 pounds. Can you imagine? I mean, this is like 150 pounds larger, and yet it was disqualified because the fish had been attacked by a shark. I mean, first of all, it's amazing the fish apparently got away from the shark. Um, was was pretty impressive. But then <laughs> to be disqualified for that, in a uh, not that they did anything wrong, the fish had been attacked by a shark. Lost out on two and a half million dollars. Wow. Uh, speaking of fish tales, also in the broken news this morning, this is in Wisconsin, where a scuba, di- scuba diver by the name of Rex Colubra claims to have forged an unlikely bond with a wild fish. In his uh, diving adventures, and he says the pair meet up every summer beneath the waves (laughs) uh, for a reunion. Mr. Calubra says he made friends with a smallmouth bass while on a freshwater uh, freshwater dive in September of 2021. The odd encounter ended with a 40-year-old naming the fish Elvis. And according to him, the pair now see each other every year when Rex travels back to the Wisconsin Lake where Elvis lives. Now, if you have any doubts about the validity of this fish story, apparently there is a video to back up this claim. The 40-year-old says he taught Elvis a specific call to which it will respond. 
He says, I will do a gulping grunt sound with my throat, and he comes to find me. Now, how he does that underwater, I'm not sure, but that's what he says. He also claims his little friend gets jealous, gets jealous if other fish come around. <laughs> Elvis will literally fight the other fish if they get too close to uh, keep them away. <laughs> he wants me all to himself. Alrighty then. <clears throat> I've heard some fish stories, but apparently there's video evidence, so who am I to argue? Uh, let's see. Here's another uh, broken news story that is uh, rather close to home from Dayton, Ohio. You might have seen this. I actually saw a photo uh, of this on uh, online. Uh, a Dayton woman refuses to remove her Halloween werewolf decoration. You know, every neighborhood has that one house where they leave their decorations up far too long, right? Or even all year long. Well, in this Dayton neighborhood, Mary Simmons uh, has a huge werewolf in her uh, side yard, and she refuses to take it down, saying it's become like a mascot, and it protects her home. Now, she's been told many times, you need to take down your huge, like a 12-foot werewolf. Phil the werewolf, she calls it, was purchased at a local hardware store and currently dons a patriotic American flag shirt with the 4th of July coming up. <laughs> Mary has received a warning from the city, but refuses to take Phil down. In fact, she has planned out his wardrobe for the entire summer. Uh, he said, She said, uh, when it gets a little bit later after 4th of July... They'll uh, you know, get into the dog days. They're going to give him a Hawaiian shirt, maybe some sunglasses. <laughs> well, if you're a werewolf, you need sunglasses, I guess. That makes sense. Um, Mary said the uh, city of Dayton has no plans uh, to remove Phil at this time. They've warned her, but they're not going to do anything. At least, not yet. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, Dateline Clearwater, Florida. There always has to be a story out of Florida because people just do weird things there. It must be the heat and the humidity. Police stopped a, a woman, Lindsay Rodewald, in Clearwater on suspicion of driving under the influence. They searched her bag. Um, well, apparently, she wasn't driving a vehicle. She was riding a bike at night without any lights or reflectors, and so it was dangerous. They stopped her for her own good, and discovered she might be inebriated, so they searched her bag. After a search of the uh, backpack, officers found a broken glass pipe, drug residue, and a baby raccoon. <laughs> a baby raccoon. Uh, Miss Rodewald confessed to using meth a few days prior, and uh, she claimed that the animal was her pet. <laughs> The raccoon was taken to the veterinary emergency group where it will receive care before being released back into the wild. <laughs> no word on whether they released Miss uh, Rodewald back into the wild. I don't know. I think they'll hang on to her for a little, a little longer. And uh, finally, in the broken news this morning, in a hilarious twist of fate, the owner of an auto repair shop in Peachtree City, Georgia, is now facing regret for his decision to settle a former employee's final paycheck with a mountain of oily pennies. <laughs> According to the story here, the Department of Labor cracked down um, 
on AOK Luxury Auto Works and its owner uh, after discovering uh, violations of labor laws regarding retaliation, overtime, and record keeping. Andreas Flatten, the aggrieved employee, reported uh, his uh, his boss's failure to pay his final wages. Uh, the result was that the owner of the business retaliated with a shower of 91,500 oil-soaked pennies that he dumped in Mr. Flatten's driveway, um, accompanied by defamatory statements on the company's website. <laughs> Miles Walker, the owner of OK, AOK Luxury Auto Works, has now learned an expen- expensive lesson. Actually, you remember that story. I remember reporting that story in the broken news some months ago. Well, now uh, Mr. Walker has been ordered to pay over $39,000, including back wages and liquidated damages, uh, to this employee for the stunt. As if that wasn't enough, he had to scrub all traces of uh, mentions of the employee in any derogatory form from his company's online presence and prominently display the consent judgment uh, around the uh, shop. So he had to basically apologize, own up to (laughs) retaliating against his employee, and cut it out. (laughs) Uh, Oh, my. So the uh, employee, I guess, got the last laugh there, a little bit of a follow-up in the uh, broken news. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When you're behind the wheel, it's okay to rock out to your music, but it's not okay to interact with your phone screen and electronic devices while driving. In most cases, anything more than a single touch or swipe is against the law. That means no texting, no typing, no scrolling, no shopping, no browsing. If an officer sees a violation, they can pull you over. So remember, Ohio, phones down. It's the law. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, You know how it's uh, common to hear uh, folks, especially adults, the older, and I find myself uh, saying this. (laughs) And 20, 30 years ago, I I never would have thought that you would catch me saying this, but I, I do now as I've gotten older. Uh, Talking about the good old days, reminiscing about the good old days. Things just aren't the same today. Good old days. Um, But is, but were the good old days really all that good? And uh, is society sort of devolving uh, over the years? According to decades of surveys, and this is a study published in the journal Nature, where they analyzed uh, all of these surveys that have been done on this, Uh, over uh, the number of years to find out whether morality really is declining over time. And they argue that the idea that people are getting meaner uh, over time is just an illusion. According to decades of surveys, people generally say that they are treated with respect every day. Uh, The answer to the question does not appear to change over time, even when those surveyed say that people were kinder in the past. People, so you ask people today, they say, yeah, people used to be kinder. But the surveys have always said that people generally have been treated with respect. Uh, Researchers hypothesize 
that being exposed to more negative news about society's failings is what is influencing this perception. Uh, Nostalgia could also be at play as we may be remembering the past with rose-colored glasses. So happening around the area, the uh, Boy Scouts are very busy this summer. Uh, Scout Executive Mark Kogan is with us of Black Swamp Area Council, along with the new District Executive for the Arrowhead District, Rochelle Manley. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning, and welcome. Thanks for having us. So what is uh, what does the District Executive do? Are you like Mark's boss? So, uh, no, actually, oh, okay. not okay. at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank goodness. It um, sounds very <laughs> impressive, though. Thanks. It's kind of like an area manager for oh, Hancock say. County and Seneca County. Okay, very good. Uh, and uh, we were mentioning... Uh, before we went on the air, uh, Mark, a very busy week for the scouts. Uh, yeah. this week you're into into camps. Yeah, into camps. Into not camps not only busy week, busy busy couple of months. Yeah. So, uh, uh, good morning, Chris. Thanks for having us. It, yeah, it's great to have uh, Rochelle with us. She just joined our team, so she covers uh, two counties and our 13 county council. So we're real excited to have her join the team. Very so. cool. Now, uh, actually, uh, leading up to uh, to camp, you just as uh, it says here in my notes. Uh, had a national uh, youth leadership training course. Yeah, so uh, annually we we host. Uh, a, it's called a, we an acronym in Boy Scouts. We call it NYLT, but National Youth Leadership Training. Uh, we had forty participants. Uh, we teach leadership skills, the norming, storming, uh, performing skills, active listening to youth uh, in the context of a scout troop. So we had boys and girls participate. And the great thing about that course. All of the teaching is done by former participants who are still youth themselves. There are adults there, obviously, to keep everything safe and keep the mm-hmm. keep the program moving forward. But it is uh, a hands-on program, a hands-on mm-hmm. learning experience. Really so, interesting. Yeah, so uh, super and, excited about that. And then this week, uh, it's it's camp week at yeah. uh, at Camp Barry. Yeah. So uh, Sunday we kicked up our kicked off our four weeks of our Scouts BSA program for uh, boys and girls that are middle school aged. Uh, in our Scouts BSA program. And then on Monday, we kicked off uh, our eight weeks of adventure camp, which is a day camp, not only for our Cub Scout, for elementary school age Cub Scout kids, but for all kids in the community, boys and girls, Going into uh, first grade, going going into first grade, all the way going to fifth grade. Yeah, uh, not necessarily uh, those who are not exclusively those who are already scouts, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So this is our third year of that program, um, and and it was uh, the we got seed money from the Finley Hancock Community Foundation, which has been a great great asset for us to bring this program to life, to bring this opportunity for kids from across our community to experience scouting in the, in the context of that day camp experience. And this is uh, similar to what a scout camp would look, again, not, uh, not necessarily uh, scouts uh, participating in this, but it is just like a scout camp would be with a lot of the, yeah, the they, get, they get to do all the same things. So like those kids and what we found in our surveys, even if they don't participate in our year round scouting program, they like that, that outdoor adventure of the climbing, uh, archery, boating, swimming, um, and it's uh, it's giving those experiences that we use to deliver the aims and methods of scouting, of character development, citizenship training, and fit, uh, physical fitness, as well as leadership. How often do you see uh, some of those kids later on then as scouts? Um, probably about half of those kids that participate. So that's actually a pretty good, uh, I guess, for a lack of a better term, conversion rate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, and I know for folks in this area, we're most familiar with uh, Camp Barry because it's close. Uh, but there are other camps uh, in the region as well where things are going on. 
Yeah, so we have Camp Lakota up in Defiance as well, um, and that's our it's our it's our Scouts BSA camp, and we run actually five weeks of of resident camp up there, which is Sunday through through Saturday. So a lot of uh, things going. So you're uh, very busy. Yeah, and then on, on top of it, today we're having our our official formal opening of our uh, new welcome center, Yamin Lodge at Camp Berry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a ribbon cutting with the Chamber of Commerce at five o'clock and the community is welcome to come out and see this great training facility. It's got a, an amazing conference uh, training room as well as our camp service center, uh, camp office and our health lodge as well for Camp Berry. Now for those who uh, have been to Camp Berry before, but maybe not for a while, uh, where is it? This, did this replace? Uh, it, re- it replaced our old office, which okay. was tired and, and, and it needed, needed a, a significant upgrade. Okay. Okay. Um, And uh, then we talk about local uh, camps and things going on. You'll be taking quite a few uh, youth and adults as well to the National Jamboree. Yeah. So uh, 2017, remember when we did that interview, we did a live interview from from the Jamboree. That was the last time we had a Jamboree um, because of the pandemic. Usually it happens every four years. So Mm -hmm. uh, that event is coming back. We're sending 30 uh, 30 youth and adults from our council to uh, participate in that event. Uh, super excited about that. And they get to interact with scouts, not only from, from our country, but uh, from across the United States, but from across the world. Yeah, that's well. what I was going to mention. Talk a little bit about how, why this is such a tremendous experience for these scouts. Um, well, when Baden-Powell founded Scouting in England, he wanted to bring the youth of the, of the world together and to show them that they're all the same. And, and a jamboree is that, that great experience where they get to interact and build those friendships and bonds with, with youth that are in scouting from across the world. And when is that happening? Um, that's happening in the middle of July to the beginning of August. So it's okay. about a 10 day, it's a 10 day experience for wow. those young people where they're camping out and eating their meals, cooking their meals in their campsite, and then doing all these high adventure activities. Um, at, we have a special facility in West Virginia called the Summit Bechtel Reserve where they, uh, where it was built just for that. That's got world-class shooting sports facilities as well as climbing facilities as mountain bike facilities and a mile, like a mile long zip line as wow. well. Wow. That's uh, that's awesome. So really cool that it's fairly close uh, close by. Too. Yes, it makes it uh, easy for yeah. uh, folks to get to get there. And um, while we're talking about uh, all of this and the activities, uh, again, you noted that this is the 100th anniversary of uh, Scouts camping on the shores of Eagle Creek. So a big celebration. Yeah. So yeah. So Scouts have been camping, doing long term camping on the shores of Eagle Creek, where Camp Berry is currently located. While the camp wasn't formally founded until 1927. We have records of scouts camping on, on the shores of the, of the bank, banks of Eagle Creek uh, for over 100 years. So we're actually going to have a celebration on Saturday, July 8th at Camp Berry. Uh, it'll be in the afternoon. We'll have some select program areas opened. And then we'll have a, a, a barbecue dinner and then a campfire that evening and a chance for the community to come out, see camp, uh, as well as camp alumni. And, and it'll be a great experience uh, for, for everybody to see what's going on in scouting. Do folks uh, need to register for that? Yeah, so there'll be a registration live on our council website okay. uh, in the next couple of days at w, uh, blackswampbsa.org. Okay, uh, so circle that on your calendar uh, coming up here in uh, just a couple of weeks uh, here because that is a, that's a big deal. And Again, for the benefit of those who um, don't know all of the things that you do, this be a, a really good opportunity to sort of familiarize yourself with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because, and, and one of the reasons why that is significant, because you are, among other things, a United Way agency. So Absolutely. So we talk yeah. about United Way so dollars. So we're, we're just, we appreciate the support of United Way. It helps keep scouting strong in our community, and um, it's, it's another way for the, the community to support support the the impact that we make in scouting we talk a lot about the outdoors and the outdoor adventure but that's just the 
that's just the experience where we get those young people into the out to, to learn those those life skills of being mm-hmm. prepared for life is and the character citizenship and fitness training that scouting in, instills in them the, the lifelong skills that young people learn in scouting um, they bring them through their entire life. What I like to say, the Eagle Scout Award uh, is the only youth award that I know that you can earn before the, you have to earn before the age of 18 that will still show up on, on individuals' resumes when they're 40 and 50 years old looking yeah. for a new job. Absolutely. Um, and just to sort of um, reiterate that or, or drive that point home, um, again, this is a little bit past the uh, summer months, but come fall, uh, you get back into the Explorer program. Yeah, so uh, exploring is coming back uh, full steam ahead. We've we've just hired a new exploring executive, Alex Patterson, and we're super excited about our workforce development program with all the different uh, career opportunity posts, uh, everything from engineering and cybersecurity to uh, the sheriff's department in Hancock County has an active post, as well as uh, uh, we're planning on bringing back our aviation posts at the airport this year as well. Awesome. Uh, so a lot of things going on uh, with the uh, scouts. And uh, again, a couple of websites locally for everything. is blackswampbsa.org. Okay. And, and then, then if folks want to be uh, sign their kids up to be scouts. Yeah, and you can join at any time. You can join at beascout.org. And okay. you can just sign up and find your local unit in your community. Very good. We've got the uh, link up at our webpage, too, at goodmornings.net. You want to check that out. Again, Mark Kogan and Rochelle Manley from the uh, uh, Boy Scouts uh, Black Swamp Area Boy Scouts uh, with us this morning. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the show, really excited about this, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich will join us to discuss his new book, March to the Majority, the real story of the Republican Revolution. We'll talk about the relevance of that revolution now a quarter century later, which hardly seems possible. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.